Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we are biracial unicorns. And butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look. Did you want me to sing it? Maybe I, really, I should. I really thought you were going to, so my heart is a little disappointed. <laughs> I can't channel Miss <laughs> Tina. Oh, so that did you know? Sorry, this is so. This is the, the intro theme song to Reading Rainbow. And in two thousand, did you know Shaka Khan redid that? Yeah, yeah. Madam Shaka. So I can't even approach the bench to this song. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that song did not hit. Tell me that song did not hit every time. Every time. So every good. every time well and, and in case you couldn't tell from our tagline we're not even gonna we're not messing around today because this topic is too close and dear to our hearts we're not necessarily discuss, uh, discussing just reading rainbow but we're discussing the voice and power behind it from roots to rainbows with the enterprise and podcast in between mr lavar burton or actually it's, it's like lavardius robert martin burton jr which is pretty amazing yeah that's a name. Mm, right? He is a pop culture icon. He is a cornerstone in literacy. And we just kind of, we want to give him his flowers today. We, we want to give, we want to put some respect on his name is what the kids are saying. And just spend a little bit of time talking about the one and only LeVar Burton today. Yes, obviously, probably without having to say it explicitly. We're huge fans, huge fans <laughs> of LeVar Burton. I feel like you and I, Mika, are right there in that sweet spot. Anyone in our age group <laughs> loves LeVar Burton. We were the exact right age. Elder millennials, LeVar Burton is like, is everything. He, because you're right, and it has to be part of the elder one for us to be able to enjoy and reading Rainbow be so formative, but also be in that same Venn diagram of being impacted by Star Trek, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think also, and we'll kind of get into this as well, but also kind of in the wake of his his role on Roots as well. And so we just have this these beautiful interlocking circles of relevancy. And then of course, you know, he's he's outspoken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so about issues of social justice and education. And I think that is just something that really, not just for Danny and myself as unicorns, but I think many that listen and follow of the importance and power of literacy and, and presence and what that means for people of color. So hearts, 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 hearts. <laughs> yes, all the hearts for LeVar. Mm-hmm. I think before we get into him and his career, where do you first remember LeVar Burton from? So I want, I will say right away, reading Rainbow. I think that is probably the big thing as far as the voice, the the calmness, that everyday presence. But I, I do actually very much remember Roots being very important. But the thing is being young and knowing Roots, which is a miniseries that, that came on. Uh, 1977 and it was based off a novel and it took it was like over eight parts it's crazy but I remember having commercials of it I remember seeing the VHS of it it was seeing his face but being a little bit older and realizing that's the reading rainbow guy 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like in in the middle, because there's this disassociation of the main character you played of Kunta Kente and the guy who read me Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Like yeah. there's definitely that disconnect. So having that, it really made me more in awe of his acting ability. But once again, having him kind of touch these multiple parts of my life and my childhood. But wh- mm-hmm. what about you? Oh, handstand reading Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Definitely Ra- reading Rainbow was where I first remember LeVar Burton from. It's interesting that I think I definitely, I don't know how old I was when I heard about Roots originally, but definitely not as young as when I knew Reading Rainbow. And I didn't watch Star Trek The Next Generation until I was an adult, but I think it was just such a part of the popular zeitgeist that I knew it. I used to, I think I've talked about this before, maybe not. I used to like wear a plastic headband across my face. To be very futuristic. So obviously, like, and I knew that was him, mm-hmm. but I had never seen TNG. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. He he was just like such a such a presence, even mm-hmm. without knowing his specific acting roles firsthand. I knew him as an actor and I knew him as the guy who I loved from Reading Rainbow. And that is just so impactful. I remember, you know, because I think we both shared that we grew up with a lot of TV land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember his different guest stars, even on like Murder, She Wrote or The Love Boat and just having to keep popping up in all these very iconic television moments. And it just reiterated his presence within entertainment. It was just a comforting. And I think that's something about it when you keep seeing these comforting Bases and it just creates just a sense of ease and joy. And, and that's what he brought. I, I mean, we talked about it briefly before. They created Reading Rainbow to kind of combat that summertime slump that we talk about a lot in America. Kids get, you know, about three months or so off of school. And reading is probably, and you can speak a lot more on this than I could, Danny. Reading is something very hard to like get some kids to do. Some kids are naturally avid readers, but I think with the weather being nice and they're finally out of school and summer holidays or helping the family out, reading is not always put at the forefront. And having someone who is at the forefront and gifted at storytelling, engaging kids and creating that relationship where some kids didn't have the luxury of having a parent read to them. I mean, both. I mean, I think we both shared our parents work during the summers, so we yeah. didn't have someone sitting there reading to you <laughs> all the time. So it was just such an important figure in 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 kids' life, especially during the summertime. Yeah, and to that point about him being kind of a comforting presence. Once my parents were divorced, I didn't have a regular father figure in my house, and I'm not saying Levar Burton is my father figure, but I do think there was this hunger for like a nurturing male presence. And I don't think that I was alone in that. I Mm. think a a lot of kids really connected with him for that reason. Mm, I love what you said, a nurturing presence for a male, a black male. And let's, let's be real. He's a dark brother, you know, (laughs) for someone who is meeting, he's a dark brother. He is a black man unapologetically. And for him to be put in this 
role of, like you said, a nurturing character was, I think Sesame Street had a little bit more inclusion as far as that goes, but I thought this was a lot more intimate. Yeah. A little bit more personable. He addresses the kids directly mm-hmm. in the show. It does feel like a personal relationship in a way that you don't too often get in television, just with children's programming, really. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing like a new resurgence of this weird personal connection with people via podcasts, mm-hmm. which is interesting. There is this tradition of children's programming feeling very intimate in that way. And it's not universal, but I think Sesame Street is similar. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was similar. And then later, Blue's Clues was similar. So I think there are those sorts of shows. And yeah, Reading Rainbow, I think for our generation is is the biggest touchstone Mm. because we watched it in school too. It wasn't just like I watched it at home. I watched it in school. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. And I loved following along or, you know, what was really, I don't, I got so excited if we had read a book in school Mm. and then that episode came on with that book because it tied it in and made literacy and reading, not two separate entities. It wasn't just a school thing. It was a thing that was done. I know it's a weird thing. It's a weird connection of like, we read that book at school. We've read that book at school. And it made you really excited. And that's the magic. That's the absolute magic. And I absolutely love that that LeVar Burton was doing this show for, was it 23 seasons? (laughs) Crazy. Can you imagine doing something for that long? Uh, with that rigorous schedule while also doing the next generation Mm -hmm. like those things overlapped and that's i was ages ago i'm like wait i did the math randomly while watching star trek i'm like he he was double dipping (laughs) it was but i love it it makes it that much more uh, amazing it wasn't resting on this laurel this man is a hustler this man was constantly working and i love the roles that he takes on because they're such a niche and a purpose. I was watching an interview where he talked about the importance of reading Rainbow and also mm-hmm. his role on Star Trek. And I love what he's talking about with sci-fi because he's really big on sci-fi. That having a person of color made him see himself in the future. And yes. I don't think Danny's already brought up that we need to have a whole episode about <laughs> people yes. of color in sci-fi and the importance of that. But that way that just got me right in the heart. I was like, yes, I think that's why you were very drawn to him, you know, automatically just by sight, as opposed to other characters who were of color, but there was a lot of makeup. They were another species. There wasn't what you associated with them first was their color of their skin. But here he was once again, unapologetically black, even with the the visor that has, you know, his glasses on, he was a black man on the Starship Enterprise. Yes. And he does talk about the original Star Trek being an impact, right? With Michelle Nichols being on that show and being able to, I think, I think the quote was something along the lines of Gene Roddenberry showed me that there is a place for people like me in the future. Right. Mm -hmm, And, And I love, I love that. And I think it's this beautiful circle to think about him watching the original series and then being that person 
on the next generation. Because as you say, yeah, Michael Dorn was a main role in mm-hmm. the uh, the next generation. Worf, the Klingon, for those of you who might not be as nerdy <laughs> as me and D'Amika. He, yeah, he wore a lot of heavy makeup. Yeah, some was, people don't know that he's a brother. Yeah, exactly. People <laughs> so, don't even oh, know. No. <laughs> some people be shook. They're like, what? I was like, yeah, he, he's one of us. <laughs> On to that fact, LeVar Burton talked about watching Mr. Rogers once again, watching that show and have him impact the way that he could enlighten people. Mm. He could teach people because his mother was a teacher. And I love that, you know, just yes. for the show, taking a deeper dive into who he is as a person. He had an army father, but one I wanted to know about that mother. She, social worker, English teacher, and he often refers to that being the groundwork. He has a family of educators, and you can just see that legacy and how that has impacted his focus in his career of you can be a teacher, you can use film, you can use that media. And he had Mr. Rogers as that example. And I love it, that same imagery Danny just talked about of watching something and that next generation kind of coming in and taking that impact. And uh, I don't know. Do we have TV right now? Do you think that's impacting the next generation? So this is, a, this is a well, this is a big question. And it, I don't want to derail too much. I know. But... I should have said it. <laughs> so my short answer to that question is we are in a current cultural moment that is not as narrow focused as it has been in the past people literally have anything they want (laughs) available streaming all of that i think there are less of those cultural touchstones where everyone tunes in to watch a similar Mm. show i mean that was part of the power of roots right was like everyone across across the country was tuning in to watch this miniseries about the black experience throughout American history um, to, to really, I, I don't want to derail again too much, but I, I, I have thoughts and feelings about, about roots. Oh, oh girl. <laughs> I know. I know. But so I, I don't know if there are who the successor to LeVar Burton is in our cultural zeitgeist. But I do think that there are people in the younger generations who have been exposed to kind of the the like trifecta of wholesomeness, right? LeVar Burton, mm-hmm. Fred Rogers, and I think Bob Ross is put in there a lot. All these mm-hmm. like PBS guys <laughs> who were not afraid to be sweet and caring yeah. and mm-hmm. put their emotions out there into Sick. the world, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, I can't. Yes, I'm going back for seconds. You're completely right. Because you're talking about that absence where we think about when divorce kind of started really skyrocketing. And once again, we look at that Venn diagram of having these sensitive, very openly caring, kindness centered male figures at the heart of it. And I think that's, that's why we have such a a positive visceral reaction towards LeVar Burton, which is another reason why we wanted to talk about him today. Because if you are any even slightly involved in pop culture, you will see that there is this uh, job position of taking up the helm of Jeopardy host, which has been very, very much in the news of lately. 
Yeah. Before we get too into that, I just also Mm -hmm. wanted to, uh, something we wanted to talk about, at least briefly, along the lines of that sensitivity, is more of the parallel between Fred Mm -hmm. Rogers and LeVar Burton in the fact that they both had like a spiritual calling earlier and like studied to be (laughs) like ministers or I think in LeVar Burton, it was like clergy, but like they they had like this spiritual calling and then recognized another way to offer themselves to the world like in a similar but very different fashion oh i i girl 13 he lamar bird went to seminary at 13 can you at 13 that is nuts you can't make life decisions at 13 (laughs) no and he was like dead set being like yep that's what i wanted to do but real like you said realizing that that calling to to teach to love to serve to bring enlightenment can be used through the lens and vein of entertainment you talked about i mean someone who grew up roman catholic it is theatrical and taking Mm -hmm. the same kind of theatrics and, and using that it's it's beautiful that, and I love that both that both of these men were able to not put it aside, but have the openness, come from an open heart to love and to receive people who were different, people from different mm-hmm. walks of life and put kindness above clergy. I, I guess for like the, you know, the best way to put it, it was about love. It was centered in kindness. It was centered in humanity. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. a beautiful example for anyone who says they have any kind of faith of what is this really about? What's the real root? What's the real calling here? And I think they both got that right. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that completely. Um, we've talked Reading Rainbow. We've talked a little bit about Star Trek. Do we want to talk more about Roots or do we want to just dive <laughs> into some of his other work and Jeopardy? <laughs> Let, I, I feel like I want to talk about Roots uninterruptedly right. let's, so let's let, let's so, let's let's save roots because i have a lot to say about roots <laughs> um, should we, do we want to jump into his other works because i also want to highlight what he's presently doing because i think yeah. we didn't even know about certain things as well yeah yeah i think let's start there i didn't realize that he had authored books yeah i didn't know that um, yes. We were very excited when we we <laughs> discovered this <laughs> last week, and I'm really I really want to read his book, his mm-hmm. fiction book. Are they both fiction? I think they are. So he has two books. It's Aftermath and The Rhino Who Swallowed a Storm. Mm, yeah, I know Aftermath, Rhino Who Swallowed the, a Storm also sounds fictional. It, it, I mean, but it could going it could on the yeah, who knows? So he's really into science fiction. He's written two books. And so I think, I do think we need to make a unicorn library about that for sure. Yeah. You know what I didn't know? Did you know that he, and I'm sure because you're, you're so literary on, on point. He did the, the audio book for Martin Luther King's biography. Or I did know that. Yes, I did know that. I did not know that. He won a Grammy for that. Yep. Yep. He... Hold up. <laughs> Homeboy hustles. He does everything. Uh, he does. So he's got 12 Emmys from Reading Rainbow. He's got a Grammy for reading. He's uh, an author. He has a podcast. Yeah. Where Have you just... listened to his podcast? I haven't. Have you? 
Yeah, I was I was a big follower of it when it first came out, but I, I I'm just not too into like fiction narrative podcasts, so mm. I haven't I haven't really kept up with it. But I think there is a very strong sense of nostalgia because it's just him reading stories for adults. Like he's clearly like reading to our generation. Oh yeah. Definitely. If you are into fiction narrative, you should check out that podcast if you haven't heard of it already. Exactly. And I, I don't think you have to go too far if you are missing his voice in your life. I, I, I stumbled upon him talking this little six part series on YouTube called This Is My Story, where he actually reads about people's encounters with racism mm. from their points of view. And yeah. the, first st- the first story is his experience. His story, yeah. Because, you know, he, him coming from Sacramento, California and going to college there, he's very open about his run ins with LAPD very he does not shy away from his experiences with racism and that's I think another reason why even today he is so pivotal and important for someone who's been in the business and has experienced that in a real way and he tells the story well I think a lot of well-intentioned people of our generation forget that he is black I'm just gonna let that <laughs> marinate. You got you. Can, I wish you all could see me because I'm like losing it. Yes, yes. It something about people of color within show business, especially for a while, they tend to kind of get the colorblind treatment, and they forget that outside of their costume, outside of their fame, when all said and done, they are just another person of color out on the street. Yeah, and I think for for Lavar and in, in specific. He he has been so successful of breaking breaking the mold of who a black man can be on television. Mm-hmm. And so I think for many people, they for, forget. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really, I kind of refuse to accept that anybody actually forgets. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he has been so successful in his own, his own goal which is he did not want to be a stereotype um, mm-hmm. in his career. And he has he has done that really well, which is kind of ironic considering his first role. And mm-hmm. I think this is a good transition point. Uh, his <laughs> first role at age 19 in Roots, playing mm-hmm. a man who is enslaved. Mm-hmm. You know, he has been quoted several times to say when regarding Roots that there was an America before Roots and an America after Roots Mm. talking about its importance and that up till now a story about what was going on with the slave trade had not been told from the lens or from the viewpoint of the actual slave. Right. I haven't, it's been a few years because they've had not a reboot, but they've had kind of like a continuation story. No, I'm a liar. They did in 2016, 2017. Mm -hmm. They kind of did like a remake. I couldn't, I couldn't. Uh, Yeah, I think we (laughs) talked about it. Maybe. I think think we might have. (laughs) But it's been many years. One, because I have to watch it through a 1977's lens. Yes. Which is before we were born. (laughs) Yes. And that is difficult of dealing with things on issues of race and how it's discussed, even from the point of view or the presumably the point of view of a black man, but still through the knowledge and writing and directing of 1977. Yeah. That is hard at times. 
that is really, really hard at times. My struggle with roots, and maybe I also need to revisit it, but like you said, it's it's hard to put yourself in in that mindset. It's just I can't help but feel I think it's it's important work. Oh it's yeah. an, it's like Lavar says, I think it is a very defining moment in in our cultural understanding, not just in entertainment. Mm-hmm. But I can't help but feel like even at the time, there were people, there were non-Black people who weren't able to truly humanize the characters that they were watching. Mm. I don't know. Maybe, I I don't know. Who knows? But that's Mm. just kind of my feeling. Mm. I, I do see that. And you know what's really interesting? I think Roots was kind of not the first because most famous notable work of doing that, of Mm. kind of not profiting, but highlighting and making a Hollywoodized (laughs) of, of the turmoil and the tragedy and the violence and the, the debauchery and the grimness that was the slave trade. And I, I think about it, of 1977 and watching it and even seeing clips and getting prepared for the show I look at it and I go Ugh, like it's I think it's what 1977 needed yeah I yeah. think it was if, I mean we're talking about we just did an episode a little while ago about critical race theory about the gaps in people's knowledges can you imagine in 1977 yeah the mentality in which mm-hmm. critical race theory became a thing in yeah. law, right, is because of those gaps. So exactly. I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. And so then we also have, I mean, this was such a huge deal within the Black community of thinking of like yeah. the amount, the heavy hitters, the stars, the writing, the notoriety. This was so such a huge voice and it's almost one of those things of like you almost have to trust the ancestors you know you have to trust the people before them who are still proud and still put their stamp on it because i think their understanding of is it perfect work no right but that's what 1977 needed i think of you know movies and the genres that were going on at that time between the style of how they did violent scenes of how they retold history and you know cleopatra like the the way that they they retold the stories in a 70s way of movie making but then having to deal with the real issue of race and the slave trade it's exactly 2021 needs something different as far as our storytelling and our education. 1977 needed that. Yeah. No, I, I I would agree with that. I think that's a good frame. I'm not saying it's making it any easier for for some of it at once, but it's, like you said, it's hard for us, for someone that came out before we were even born to ever watch it through the lens of anything else. We just, we just can't. It's, we we're in the America post roots. We weren't in the American pre. And that is difficult. Have you read Kindred by Octavia Butler? This is Ooh. derailing a little. No, actually, so I have I have read that and they came out with a comic one as well where they've done some beautiful like anime. I can't imagine that as a comic. I don't want to read the comic. <laughs> it is awful. <laughs> it is, no, it's not like awful in the content. But it is painful. Hard. Yeah. It is painful. But I I think I'm I knowing where you're going with this. No, no, no. Go, 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 go. Yeah, go, yeah. Go. I, I just feel like Kindred is very similar in that mm. sense to Roots. It's also a very important 
work and is was first published in 1979 so it's like right right there and i i believe there's a movie adaptation oh and i think it it has come under like similar scrutiny for being like too exploitive Mm. but i think i don't know i would definitely recommend everyone read kindred not just because octavia butler is my favorite author of all time (laughs) But because I think it's it's a really important and painful work. And it was when she wrote it, it was it was more painful and, and her editors had her change it. So just to give you a sense of of how, you know, how how painful this this history is. Exactly. Um, and it continues to be. I guess I've said a lot about why people should read it, but very quickly, it is a story that incorporates time travel mm-hmm. in exploring the experience of Black people and, and white people um, during slavery in the South. And the main character, she is of modern day in the 1970s. She's a Black woman. She's wear- married to a white man. And she keeps falling back into this history of her family and physically living through it. I think that's enough I could say without giving yeah. it away. But yes, yeah, the comic book is, so like I said, I read the book and then I found out they made it into a graphic novel and I'm like, I have to read it. It is just, it's having visual aids. It's just awful. But but that's the thing. And uh, thanks for bringing it up to light. I had no clue that they had come underneath kind of like that lens of a little bit of scrutiny. When I think about breaking the heart of predominantly white America and dealing with issues of the slave trade, I always think of like the heart and they talk about even spiritually, like the heart can be made of stone, like a very hard mm. material. And the only way to get that initial break into it is through a hard swing of the pickaxe. And I think where some people can see exploitation I think it's that hard swing, that hard initial crack to get through mm. the stone, to get through the heart. Because once you've done that, if you've cracked stone, once you get in there, you can see what's there. And then you can begin to carefully pick out what you need or polish or shift or wash. Then you can kind of get to it. But sometimes you need that jarring hard hit. And that's hard because the, like there is that very thin line of what's cracking into the depths of people's hearts yeah. and what's what's exploitation and that I, I, I don't know where that is. I have not yeah. had to, I'm thankful for the writers who put themselves in that place because like you said, if, if she had to take stuff out, <laughs> I can't imagine how emotional that was to even write it. But yeah. I know. I know. Speaking of getting way off, but <laughs> yes, I agree with all those points. And I think, I'm going to speak a little bit for you. Sorry. But I think <laughs> you are you are a very empathetic, sensitive person. Like, I don't know if you want me to say that about you. But that's- <laughs> How dare you tell these people? We've got company in front of guests. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I like to have my cold, hard wall. But I think underneath it, I'm also quite sensitive and quite empathetic. So I think for us, perhaps, like, these things can, like, hit us deeply. Oh, and I think yeah. my my concern is always, like... If it's not hitting someone deeply, like, what are they taking away from it? And so so I think you're right. Like, that balance of finding where you can 
hit through is a hard one to find because everyone's threshold is different. Mm. I mean, that's why we have different ways of educating and teaching people. But I think when you have something like something that's going to hit somebody in a book is not going to have the same impact as in an actual show. And I think that's why Roots was so important. No, who was going to go seek out a book? No. Yeah. Like, the, like the, the, the people who needed to read it anyway. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I think something around a miniseries, this television event, especially in that era when there were like, what, four channels. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I'm just being hyperbolic. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, that is a way to bring the collective consciousness into a moment altogether. Whereas a book is great, and sometimes books do get incredibly popular, become bestsellers, but one, you don't know if people are actually reading those books or just buying those books. And and the timeline is different for everyone, right? Yeah. Whereas I might like tear through a book in a day, someone else might tear through it in a week, and someone else might take a month, someone might like put it on their bookshelf and then slowly read it over several months. So it's there isn't that direct feedback where people can talk about it as it's happening the way that television at Mm. least in days of yore allowed (laughs) i love it and i love that's why i i think oprah did an interview with the cast of roots gosh Mm. i think it might have been like the 30th or 35th anniversary yeah I'm afraid to date that. But (laughs) what I love is the enthusiasm and the passion the cast still speak about this project. But most importantly, they do bring up that everybody was talking about it. And that's what gave it the staying power. That's what gave it the impact. You know, they were talking about the reason why they had to make it in eight parts is going going along the lines of the material being so Mm -hmm. explicit is that they like, we didn't know if people were going to be able to take more than that. Why? they made it you know in short little segmentations and it's not that they were unaware of that but that's how you get the the attention of the collective isn't it that's the power of the collective putting that right in people's faces to where if you weren't like you're saying if you weren't watching it it's like where are you at then what were you doing (laughs) where were you when roots were playing you know it was uh, a very interesting phenomenon and i i maybe i should probably give the um the reboot reboot ago i think maybe some of the things that we're kind of concerned or have issues with from the 1977 version maybe maybe addressed and approached differently in the 2016 version <laughs> that version doesn't have lavar burton I know, so. so does it matter because he is the one we are we are here for i i, I I am so thankful that it was actually so let's get doing research. This is how lovely he is. I, I couldn't help it. They're talking about inappropriate book, books and it was by TMZ, the garbage of all, you know, even they, they like bombarded him one day and they're talking about what are some inappropriate kids children's book. And he talked about not necessarily inappropriate ones, but ones with funny names. Right. And after they got done, they're like, he is a treasure. Like TMZ, their job is to find dirt and just to like destroy people's characters and get to the, and they just like, he is such a treasure. <laughs> I thought that was the absolute best. Yes. It, in a sense, he's, he, another parallel with Fred Rogers, right? Like there's not, people don't have bad things to say about mm-hmm. LeVar Burton. Like he is just a national treasure, which brings us 
to his <clears throat> dream career and another national treasure, Alex Trebek. Uh, so <sighs> we we knew we'd had to talk about the Jeopardy controversy. Mm-hmm. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I'm a huge Jeopardy fan. <laughs> Don't test her. Talk about like that's your dream job is to create the questions, right? Yeah, I don't I don't want to be a host. I just want to be a person creating the questions. On yeah. Let's make this happen. Yes. <laughs> um, my big problem with Jeopardy is how Eurocentric it all is. Uh I would I would mix that up. But anyways. <laughs> yeah, so let let's do a quick talk about about Jeopardy and Lavar's quest to be host. And I think that will also necessitate us talking a little bit about Mike Richards. Uh, I, you know, I was like, can we talk about this without giving that white guy any space? But it's it's going to be nearly impossible. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I will say we aren't going to go deep into it. Mm-hmm. If you are interested, there are some deep dives you can take. I would mm-hmm. recommend if you're. If your desire is to listen to it in podcast form, Vox did like a short episode on the problem with Mike Richards. Mm. I would recommend that. So the the iconic host, Alex Trebek, passed away after his his battle with cancer. And Danny and I did an episode talking about Game Show. Once again, another character, another male figure Mm -hmm. in our lives that was recurring comforting, knowledgeable, impactful, quirky, weird for literacy yeah. and education. Check, 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 right? And there became this, who's going to replace them? The, 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 Twitter has been all ablaze about this. But years and years ago, there is a tweet, a magical tweet out there where LeVar Burton unapologetically is just like, that's my dream job. I want yeah. host. He talked about if Alex ever retired, that that he feels yeah. like he has been training his whole life. He watches it every day, even before Alex was there. Like that's that's him. That's his job. He, he stayed claim to that many years ago, and I love it. I love that he's unapologetically like, "Put me in, coach. I got this." So when the sad passing of Alex Trebek happened. Twitter took no time. It's like, I, I was, I'm like, the one time the internet has done something right. They're like, uh, they're all knock, knock, knock. LeVar Burden, ready to report to duty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was this whole idea that there would be a variety of guest hosts for the first year, kind of testing the waters. And it was... We were led to believe as as watchers of the show that they were kind of auditioning not only for the producers, but for us <laughs> as well. Um, uh-huh. And that they were going to take our our reactions into account. LeVar Burton was not included in the original list of guest hosts. I don't need to tell you how white <laughs> the list of guest hosts was. Not entirely, but mostly. And Twitter did do this whole campaign about getting LeVar Burton to host. I think mm-hmm. in particular, once again, for our age group, we could see no one better for the job. Because I think for, for me, he is like 
a symbol of intellect, even though it was like a kid's show that he was hosting about literacy. Like, I can't help but see him as a symbol of intellect. So for me, that seems like a natural fit. In response to the change.org petition, (laughs) he was finally given a week as guest host the end of July up against the Olympics, just a single week. Um, Many of the other guest hosts had two weeks. Towards the end, they just gave them all one week. And yeah, I think, okay, so here's where I (laughs) divert from the popular narrative, D'Amika. Go ahead. Right. So I do not think he did a good job just toasting. I love LeVar Burton. I think that he could be amazing at this job. I do not think that's what we saw in his week of guest hosting. He said himself how nervous he was, and you can see it. You can actually see it on screen. And I think compared to the other guest hosts, he was not used to a live hosting format. And it showed. Do I believe it's something that he can learn? Yes. Is it something that I think the watchers of Jeopardy want to see him learn? Probably not. But I could still get behind a LeVar Burton for permanent host. But I I don't feel as 100% in as I did before his guest hosting stint. Um I still think he would be great for all the reasons we've talked about. And I think he would just need to to learn the format and be quicker and be comfortable. And that would be that would be some work. Mm-hmm. But but what I'm seeing on the internet is all these people saying, nope, just do what everyone wants. Make LeVar the host. And I'm like, are do you people watch Jeopardy? Because I don't mm-hmm. feel like you watch Jeopardy. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so I watched where he discussed where his wife called him out as well, which yeah. I love. I, I love, love that. Story yeah, too. his his wife was the makeup artist on Reading Rainbow. And so they, they got married and she's been beating that mug ever since, which girl, thank you. He, flawless. Yeah. Does he age? No. no, what only his beard is the tall tale. So yeah. I don't want to say it's just good living. I think you got a good woman to come in there and make that magic happen. So kudos to you, girl. We appreciate it. You know, being you're trying to be Alex, you're trying to, and I think he also feels the weight of everyone pitching in for him. Yes, and I, everyone came to bat. He was yeah. he was the people's choice. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I can't imagine one where you want it so badly, and then you finally get it, and like you said, you're up against the Olympics, and it's not. This is not because Alex retired. This is because this man has passed, and you know you weren't picked by the network either. You knew it was the people yeah. who voted. That's got to put you in a mindset. And also, Alex had thirty out something years to hone. His craft that yeah. is hard and other he was a game show host for years before jeopardy jeopardy yeah. wasn't his first gig exactly and lavar burton is used to like i said a more intimate storytelling a little like you said a little bit of a slower detail orientated format of entertainment uh, you know of, of, of tv and, and interviews and reading and, and he's right. an actor yes he's an actor yeah yes Yes, exactly. And Jeopardy is not that. And so you're right. It would take a little bit of finding his own style and his place. And like you said, kind of un-Europeizing the format as well, of making it, being able for him to put himself in there. But what I will say is two things. One, I'm a little upset that it was so blatantly not a tryout for people. I feel like all yeah. the people that they had, it w- it was never about that. It was just about filling, getting everything kind of ready, drawing it. I think 
being able to keep viewership even after the passing of Mr. Trebek. Uh, who's going to do it? You know, who's going to be it? Who's going to get the golden ticket? I really honestly believe in my heart of hearts that was never the case. And that's very apparent. And that's a little upsetting. Two, of course, you never want someone just to give it to anybody because the people said the people are ridiculous. But I will say is that I think it's important to give. Mm. I think it's important, not just because he, he's a black man. And I think it'd be important for him to be in this this role of, like you said, of, of someone with great intellect being it. I think, what would it be like to have that we talked about before, that comfort, that power, that champion of literacy to be in that position? I think it'd be really important. I, I don't know why. I think it would just wouldn't be filling a role. It wouldn't be ticking a box. It wouldn't be just someone behind a podium. It would be someone who's wielding a lot of influence. And I think giving LeVar Burton that sphere of influence, I think we give far too many people influence and power who don't deserve it. Which brings us to... Yes! You like that segue, boo? I love it. I love it. <laughs> so... In case you live under a rock, and to me, anyone who doesn't know about Jeopardy news is living under a rock, which is perhaps not a fair assessment. <laughs> you be you, girl. <laughs> there was the announcement of who was going to be the new co-hosts, permanent hosts of Jeopardy. And it was Mike Richards taking on the, the syndicated show, and then Mayim... I don't have her name in front of me, so now I can't remember how to say it. But Blossom, (laughs) in my mind, she's Blossom. I think it's Bialik, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah, that sounds right to me. But yeah, so Blossom was going to take on (laughs) some specials and things. And word on the street was she was kind of tapped for the position, but was too busy to do it in its entirety, which I don't know how you could be too busy for Jeopardy, but okay. Mm. So anyways, that that announcement was made. A lot of people were disappointed, rightfully so. I was amongst the disappointed. And then it came out that Mr. Richards was kind of a jerk. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Because like, first of all, who is this man? Like, who, who is he? Executive producer who, you know, also got to decide who was getting this job. Who, mm-hmm. At the beginning of his his stint as guest host, he was like, I'm stepping in last minute because of scheduling conflicts. But here I am like and, and he did a fine job. I'm this is also where I perhaps diverge from the popular narrative. I thought he did a good job. He was he was a good host. Was I disappointed when he got it? All these other things aside, yes, because I did not want to see a white guy d- hosting it. Like that was my one desire, and and that was Alex Trebek's desire. He he had said in a couple of different interviews how he he wanted a woman or a person of color to take over for him because. He was a smart man and he knows the importance of it. And he he understood the weight that the host of Jeopardy has in the public consciousness and what that represents to people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're disappointed, found out, you know, that there was sexism and sexual harassment allegations surrounding his time as executive producer at The Price is Right. I won't go into those. Yeah. Um, 
He he previously had a podcast that had a lot of racist and sexist language uh, throughout. Once again, if you want a deep dive, the Vox podcast actually plays some clips from that if you need to hear it in his voice. So, so yeah, gross. He steps down. And then we... We find out he's just like keeping his job as executive producer. Mm-hmm. Um, he he filmed. I don't know if it was a week or two weeks worth of episodes. I think it was a week, and they're going to air. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they could not because right now, once again, for those of you who are not obsessed with Jeopardy, there there is a, a reigning champion right now who is like now the fourth highest winner on Jeopardy, mm-hmm. and so I don't know how you would reshoot episodes yeah. with that in mind and it's it's on and it's unfair it's really unfair. it's unfair to, the to all the contestants yeah so going to air his episodes mayam is doing some episodes for the time being and they're gonna reopen the search also he then mm. got fired from his job which yeah. i think we all saw coming mm-hmm. I, you know what i'm actually i'm not gonna lie i was like huh they actually did it. I think the motivation was to keep Jeopardy, a show that has been without real controversy. I think it was still about protecting the show and not being like, no, this is mm. the right thing to do. That, that once again, it always irks me. Like, motivation behind actions. I was like, yeah, I'm I'm glad you did it. I'm, it wasn't motivated by, I think it's the right thing to do. It was about protecting the show. But, you know, baby steps. People keep saying it's like the first big controversy of Jeopardy, and that might be true, but as a longtime fan of Jeopardy, (laughs) I just want to name that a lot of times the clues are very rooted in this white colonialist mentality and yeah i mean i watch it that's it that's a joke between me and my husband when we watch it we're like cool this is great colonizers wrote these clues (laughs) you want to talk about taking a deep dive just i I would suggest people to go back and look at some of the the questions and answers uh, and or the way they've been answered that's also personally my favorite as well but anyways we don't have to go into that (laughs) So there is now this resurgence of support for LeVar as host of Jeopardy. It felt like it was off the table, but it is now, at least in the fans' minds, a possibility again. What are your thoughts, Tamika? Make him the damn host. And not because I want you to give him anything that he is not going to earn. Like we said before, this man, when he puts his hands on it and finds his place, he turns it. And like I said, it would be so nice for someone who has that sphere of influence to wield it in the way that's going to be for the ultimate embetterment of people. I love it. He, he was quoted in New York Times Magazine saying, Jeopardy is a cultural touchstone. And for a Black man to occupy the podium is significant. This is not just about his Blackness. This is someone who wants to wield literacy and knowledge for the greater good, for it to be available and accessible to all. And just give the man his flowers. You know, <laughs> it's that that's that's my hot take on it. Or if you're really going to open it up to people to get it, really do it. Not not just already have we have in mind and pander to us. So, that yeah. Yeah. If we're doing a whole round of guest hosts again, I want them all to be people of color. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not even saying women and people of color. I want them to be people of color of all genders. Mm-hmm. 
That's what I want. Let, let's do that. So I know I know Jeopardy listens to this show. So I know they're going to take our our concerns with, with weight. Obviously. We're, <laughs> Obviously. We're wielding our huge amount of influence right yes, now. Yes, 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 yes. So yeah. yeah. So I don't what's we want the thoughts. I mean, by the time this comes out, who knows what might happen, but I want to hear all the lovely unicorns thoughts of who who's hosting and also just showing love, mad love to LeVar Burton. He's a gem. He's just mm-hmm. a gem. We love him. Mm-hmm. So happy place. Yeah, it can't just be LeVar Burton, even though he is uh, a huge happy place. Come on, I was gonna do all episodes of Star Trek where it was Jordy and, and Data. Like that yes. I can't. That's cheating. Yeah, because you know they didn't give him a romantic relationship. His best relationship was with an android. Oh, what you do? You don't think that's morally okay to copy someone that you're interested in and date them virtually? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's it's a story that speaks to our our current our, times. I'm about to say, I think he was just ahead of the curve. So this brother's super futuristic. <laughs> anyway, happy place. <laughs> What's making you happy this week? Uh, <laughs> uh, my little one, we had like a little popcorn cuddly movie date and mm. we watched Vivo, the one with Lin-Manuel Miranda is the voice of a Kikachu and it has really strong roots to Cuban music and I think it's adorable. It's super cute and my my little one has been listening to the soundtrack nonstop. <laughs> But it makes her so happy. And I love that there's this homage to uh, Cuban and Latin music and they have Spanish in it. And I just think it's it was just beautiful. It was cute. It was very sweet. I love the animation. I love the songs. And of course, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a, an enjoyer, a purveyor of one Mr. Lin-Manuel Miranda. I think they did a really good job on it. Though It made me really happy for her to see her unload the dishwasher singing Cuban music. <laughs> it was very cute. It was very, very cute. I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. And I know how how excited she gets about about oh those God. sorts of things. And oh then it just goodness. like washes over her and then just like trickles out in all it's the a, places. When I tell you she has done like her own like flamenco performance already <laughs> outside. She's all la 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 like she's just like has like the pretend dress on and she is just living her best life in, in like the Florida Keys all the way to Miami. She is just living the whole fantasy and I love it and once we talk about this even this whole episode of representation matters of just having kids recognize and fall in love and be akin to other culture and how how a time signature and how they delay and phrasing of music is so is different and for them to love it and attach to it like honestly I'm, I'm sorry Elsa like I'd much rather her singing this incessantly than let it go there I said it come at me Ooh. <laughs> Get ready, emails. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what about you, Danny? What is making you happy? Mine is a little bit less related <laughs> to mm, our okay. episode. So my happy place is fermentation. <laughs> yes. I mean, we... it's always a happy place, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
But I've been doing a lot of fruit fermentation experiments in my Mm. household. So yes, does it smell a little bit like fruit alcohol in my house at all times now? Um, (laughs) But yeah, I ended up with a huge windfall of various fruits in various stages of uh, ripeness. So I've been trying all the things. I made some lightly fermented enzyme jams that are a little bit like if you're a kombucha drinker, you'd probably like them. If you don't like sour tangy, probably not so much, but they've, they've been fun. Been doing a lot of fermented fruit juices, not like alcohol, but like lightly fermented so that they're bubbly and a little bit sour, a little bit of kombucha flavor to them. Yeah. So this morning I just finished a round. So I have like a peach juice, an apple juice, and a plum juice to drink and compare. So that's my life now. And my husband is like, you care too much about (laughs) your fermentation. I'm like, here, look, look at this. Look how bubbly it is. (laughs) (laughs) Did you let the I am all about that plum right now. I bet that is amazing. Yeah, the plum jam is is definitely <sighs> pretty, pretty awesome. And I love that with the fermentation, it does like the funk and the sour will kind of cut through that natural sweetness. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'm into it. I'm yeah. really into it. It's fun. It's it's a thing that I can do for a few minutes every day and escape living in the worst possible timeline. <laughs> and see, Danny always talks about how she's not good in the kitchen. I think it's just what it is. And I think because fermentation is a science, it's a science of nature. And I think you have such mm-hmm. a great way of respecting and acknowledging the influence and power of nature, but also having like that love and background of just like knowledge and science and rules and lists. It's like it's very important do not ask me to ferment anything i'll just go based on feel and that's not great because that's how you get botulism (laughs) girl you're amazing in the kitchen and you know it you don't need to ferment anything if you need something fermented let me know i'm happy to do that for you and this is why we'd be perfect in the commune i don't understand biracial unicorns commune coming at the collapse of society Come gallop into our arms. <laughs> all right, oh, friends. Man. We want to hear yeah. all of your happy places. We mm-hmm. want to hear what your contribution to the commune is going to be. And most of all, <laughs> we want to hear all of your thoughts and feelings about LeVar Burton. You can reach us all the usual ways. Check our show notes for that info. You can send us an email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at biracialunicorns. And you can find us on Twitter at biracialmagic. We want to give a huge shout out to those who support us. Uh, we want to thank Dolly Pop Art for making our very iconic unicorn photo badge. Go follow her. Go see her stuff. Go buy her stuff. We want to thank so much Joseph Scott of Citizens of Tape City. They're having new music coming out. Please go check them out on Instagram at Citizens of Tape City. We also thank So Smith Photography for doing some lovely photos for us. And please, if you have time in your schedule, we would love, love, love for you to listen to us, to rate us all the stars, happy faces, hearts that you can muster, and please write us a review. That just really helps us to guide us. It puts us in the magic in the machine known as the algorithm so people can get this information and be part of the unicorn community. 
Yes. As always, if you have questions or things you would like us to talk about on the show, be sure to let us know. Mm-hmm. We joke about the commune, but we really do want biracial unicorns to continue being a community. And the best way is to hear from you who listens to the show. All right. Well, we will be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with another full episode. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Peace. Out.